Smartcast. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to episode 94 of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon. Today, let me start off by uh, thanking our friends over at C.S. Lewis and Company Publicists for today's guest, Mr. Ed Frohenheim. Now, Ed is co-author of a book titled Reinventing Masculinity, uh, and that's the, the title of this podcast. Now, some people are going to take that and, and be very intrigued in a positive manner, and some people are going to wonder uh, what is going on and, and maybe have some negative connotations right off the bat when they start listening to this show. Uh, all I'm going to ask is that you go into this discussion with an open mind and listen to what Ed Frohenheim and his co-author Ed Adams have to say about masculinity in the workplace. And I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised uh, no matter where your starting point is. So with that, I'm not going to say too much more about this. I'm just going to go ahead and get right out of uh, your way and let you dive right into this amazing discussion with Mr. Ed Frohenheim. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this episode of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon. Today's guest is Mr. Ed Frohenheim, uh, co-author of the new book, Reinventing Masculinity, The Liberating Power of Compassion and Connection. He has written about organizations, leadership, and society for more than two decades, co-writing such books as A Great Place to Work for All, Better for Business, Better for People, Better for the World. He currently serves as Senior Director of Content and Research Advisory Firm, Great Place to Work. He also co-founded the Teal Team, which helps organizations evolve into more democratic, purpose-driven, soulful places. Ed, thanks for joining us today. Thanks very much for having me, Earl. Yeah, no, I'm excited to, to have this conversation with you, especially this topic of, of masculinity. Uh, but before we dive into that, let me start you out where I start off everybody with that foundational question of the show. What does the phrase burden of command mean to you? Thanks. I love this question, Earl. And I'm going to answer it this way. I think the burden of command is something that leaders no longer need to carry. Uh, in fact, it's, it's why it would be wise of them to, to let that burden down. If by command, we're talking about the traditional command and control hierarchical way of making decisions. Uh, because I think there's a, an emerging business landscape where it's going to be more important to move away from that style of leadership to, to one that is more collaborative, uh, that is a bit more about distributing power and bringing everybody along and giving them some a, a say in what, what they do. 
Hmm. No, I like that. I, I like that a lot. And I'm sure as we as we get into things and we get into the book here, uh, that answer is going to become a lot more clear uh, to listeners. Um, now, mm-hmm. masculinity, right? That that's a, a word that's really kind of taken a beating uh, in in well in media period uh, right now. Uh, so let's start out like in your book. Uh, you're talking about reinventing masculinity and you start out at the very beginning talking about and using your words in the book, outdated and unhealthy, confined masculinity. What do you mean by that? We mean that the traditional way of, of being a man going back several thousand years, Earl, has been quite limited. Uh, the choices that men have, the options for how they, the roles they play as well as how they relate to others have been very constrained. Uh, and that is what has, uh, leads us to say, uh, that this kind of masculinity is outdated and unhealthy. Because in the 21st century world that's emerging both at home, at work, and in the, in the global stage, uh, those limited roles and those limited ways of relating really aren't working anymore. And, and they're translating into health problems. Uh, and wider problems for for us in our in our democracy and in our society. Mm. Now, so we we hear the term toxic masculinity used a lot. Is this the same thing that you're talking about here? Not exactly. And and we you know we consciously avoided using that term because I think as you and I were talking about before early, it really can could can get the conversation off on the wrong foot because men aren't toxic, uh, but uh, you know, some of the behaviors that, that men can demonstrate can be quite poisonous or, or unhealthy to themselves and others. Uh, we, we think the word confined is a more neutral descriptive term. And what we're getting at there is the, the set of, of, of identities, if you will, that, that men have been sanctioned to, to, occup- to, to, to live through. Uh, and for example, you're allowed to be a provider, a protector, a conqueror. Those are the main three roles that, that we see that men feel like they can take on. But there are many other ones that they're kind of, you know, precluded from under that, under the society's norms. For example, the caregiver, uh, the spiritual seeker, uh, the curious little boy adventurer that, that, that kind of we grew up with when we were younger. Um, and then when it comes, when it comes to relating to others, we've been kind of told that we have to be dominant. We've got to be competitive and, and beat others, uh, treat everybody as a rival. We've been told not to show our emotions, to be stoic. And we've been told that we have to be super self-sufficient. We have to be self-made men to the point where we, we become quite isolated. And, and, and these roles, these ways of relating often do translate into, you know, uh, relatively, you know, unhealthy ways of, of, of relating to, to, our, to our family members, to our co- colleagues at work, to our community members. Uh, but again, these are choices that men can uh, can let go of and or break out of uh, to so that it's not really not uh, a toxicity that's inherent to men. It's rather our behaviors that that can be you know quite dangerous and, and unhealthy to others. Yeah, no, and and I, I like that. You know, words definitely matter, and and taking that toxic word uh, away kind of hopefully brings down some some walls. Because I mean, again, like you said. Men aren't inherently toxic. And I think the the worst thing about these kind of ideals that, that we talk about here uh, as confined traditional 
uh, outdated masculinity. I think there's a great argument to be made that those things, like, they, they never actually really worked all that well to begin with, mm. right? That's an interesting point. Um, yeah, that is there is an argument to be made for that, um, especially if we think about applying this to the work world, Earl. Uh, you know, the, the command and control boss, kind of getting back to the first question you asked, um, it never really brought out the best in people uh, if they're kind of barking orders at, at folks. Uh, but that didn't matter as much when the economy, say, 50 to 100 years ago was about factories where workers were almost like uh, cogs in a wheel. You know, they're just on an assembly line punching in a plant, uh, a part to, a, to a, a car or something else where there wasn't a lot of thoughtfulness or creativity required. Um, but if you fast forward to today's world, you know, that, that approach to leadership where you're, dom you're supposed to be domineering and you're supposed to, to not have any space to be uh, sharing feelings. Uh, you know, maybe someone's coming in very distraught over the loss of a, a loved one or a family member. Uh, maybe someone's feeling, uh, you know, bullied in the, in, in the lunchroom. Uh, and yet, you know, that, that old style of masculinity doesn't make any space for that. Um, and that is not going to bring out the best in people that are now bringing their talents and their creativity to work. And that's really where they bring their value. Can they be innovative? Can they be collaborative on a team to solve a complex problem? Um, that older style of leadership is not suited to the, to the work world that's emerging. Yeah. You know, and I think, uh, so my listeners, to the show, they know that, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of a history buff. I'm not, wouldn't call myself a history major by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, and being in the military, a lot of those cultures where we take some of these masculine signals from, like, say, the Spartan culture and Viking mm -hmm. culture and all that, you know, th that's that's all people kind of really think about those cultures is that that warring, uh, warmongering, that kind of masculine, take what we want, when we want kind of, mm -hmm. uh, of, of vibe. But those cultures relied heavily on, on the word love and loving one another and really dealing with a lot of these things, as you kind of mentioned, under that outdated uh, masculinity, are things that we don't kind of throw into that category. So mm. if, you have a, if you have a good answer, I'm kind of curious, like, how did we strip apart those pieces and get to thinking about masculinity the way we do think about it right now? Uh, great, great question. And, and need to hear the, the history, uh, buff knowledge you have, uh, Earl, I, I was a history major, uh, at college, uh, but not necessarily on this topic. Um, I, a couple of thoughts that come to mind. One is, uh, you know, one thing that I learned in the process of writing this book uh, with, with my co-author and especially through the help of our, the fellow who wrote the foreword for our book, his name is Paul Gilbert. He's a compassion scholar. And, and someone who's worked, developed a kind of way of uh, doing counseling and therapy with compassion at the, at, the, at the heart of it, is that even before the Viking and the Spartan uh, societies, the vast majority of the time human beings have been alive was in hunter-gatherer societies, foraging <laughs> societies. Uh, and these were human beings exactly like us uh, in terms of their DNA, their brain size, maybe even a bit slightly bigger brain, if, if I got the history right there. Right. And their societies, you know, were deeply about the, the, you know, what you could call the concept of love, as you put it. They, they were egalitarian, so a lot of, of, of sharing uh, of resources. They were deeply uh, devoted to autonomy, 
so that everybody had the freedom to, to do what they wanted, even though they were expected to share. There wasn't like a kind of sense of being bossed around. Uh, and the third big quality they had was a sense of gratitude, a sense of abundance in, in the planet. Um, and I think that, you know, some of those same pr principles have survived up through the agrarian and civilization groups that some of which you mentioned, um, you know, men have never stopped, you know, loving in, in a way, but a lot of the, uh, you know, the expectations of the norms have been, have been more about the aggressiveness, you know, the, the protector pieces, not, not so much caregiving though, that, that role got put over into the feminine category and, and that was kind of, uh, diminished or, or, uh, seen as, as less worthy, if you will. And, and I think if we bring it up right all the way up to the present time, there's a way in which, uh, there's a kind of a backlash right now, I think, to this, uh, call for a different kind of masculinity. You know, we see a, a number of men and men's groups, like the, I would call out the Proud Boys, for, for example, that almost have a, uh, you know, a refusal to grow up and experience and live in the 21st century that's emerging around us, where we're expecting women to have, uh, equal power where we're expecting uh, those of different back racial backgrounds to be given equal seats at the table and opportunities. Um, and that we are now uh, expecting people to be able to be not just, you know, dom domineering bullies, but actually perceptive and emotionally sensitive listeners. Uh, so there's almost like a, um, as I said, like a backlash to this call for an emerging masculinity where, I think, you know, people are, some folks are gravitating to that very warlike spirit of, of the Vikings. You know, think about the, one of the fellows who went into the, the January 6th uh, invasion of the Capitol wearing a, a Vikings helmet. You know, <laughs> it almost was a comedy, uh, a parody of, of that kind of hyper-masculinity or, or, or very warlike masculinity. Uh, but I think there's a, also a lot of guys, you know, that are, that are quietly moving toward this different kind of masculinity that we would we would call liberating masculinity in our in our book girl yeah no actually it's a it's a great segue and it's it's um you know it's it's great to hear you mention some of those things because you know there's there, there's this dichotomy there especially with uh what did they call him the QAnon shaman guy mm -hmm. you know everybody's seen him as, as what you said this kind of big tough masculine guy but then like the the immediate uh Follow-up was once he was incarcerated was, you know, essentially he went on a food strike because he needed his, like, organic soy milk or whatever it was, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so there's this dichotomy right there. And, and I really think that that, that and, and, like, kind of transitioning to this liberating uh, masculinity, I think we're seeing kind of that, that reverse back to some of those other qualities, the caregiver and all that good stuff, because we had that time period where those things were excluded and we realize that they don't work in those those groups you mentioned, the Proud Boys and stuff like that. They're 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 kind of holding on, and we're seeing the wailing and the gnashing of the teeth that their mm. their narrow view is is dying out. Mm -hmm. And this liberating masculinity, you know, and this is something I've noticed in the workplace over the last five five or ten years, is like I think a good example. Correct me if I'm wrong here is. For instance, we're seeing a lot more men actually taking a paternity leave when mm -hmm. they have children. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a great observation. I, I know I did that twice with my my two kids, and I think you're right uh, that that and 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 the benefits that companies are giving around paternity leave are becoming more uh, equal between men and women and more generous for men. Um, at, you know, I 
I actually just recently left Great Place to Work. You mentioned I was that was there, but I was there for seven years, and our research was finding more, pretty recently that the uh, at the best workplaces, the ones that make the Fortune 100 best companies to work for list, that was a list that we produced in our from our research at Great Place to Work. Those companies uh, had a culture where men could take that time off and did take that time off in, in greater amounts. Uh, to your point, so at, at the leading companies, this is definitely happening. And even probably in, in many companies that aren't uh, high trust, inclusive com- cultures, they're also it's becoming more possible and normal for for men to play that caregiving role. Yeah, and it and it's great to see. Like I remember the first time I, I I worked with somebody who had put in for paternity leave, and the looks that they got, and I got to mm. give the that gentleman credit. He was like, okay, so. I still want to be there for my wife and my newborn child. I don't care if you don't like it. This is what I need to do for my family. And, you know, I think that's a great way that, that caregiver, that, that, that role there. Uh, mm-hmm. But what are some, you know, what are some other ways uh, that this liberating masculinity can, can present itself? One major way is through what people are calling emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Or, or or the creation of psychological safety at work, uh, and by this I'm I'm talking about uh, the concept that the most effective teams are not the teams with the smartest people. They aren't the teams with the the most credentials uh, or the the best college degrees on them. But like Google and some other and other research has has found that the teams that perform best are the ones where there is a, a climate of psychological safety. That is to say, people feel free to uh, express themselves, bring out their whole selves without fear of being mocked. And uh, for, for someone to create that climate uh, as a leader, uh, you have to be willing to be vulnerable yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and when people do express themselves, you have to be able to respond to it in a sensitive way. If someone kind of looks, looks kind of distraught uh, and they say that they, you know, well, they're, maybe it is their dog died the other day, you know, yesterday. Uh, and rather than and kind of make light of it or awkwardly kind of switch the topic, you say, oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. Uh, that must be really hard for you to be here today and wrestling with that loss. Uh, you know, and, and being able to bring your heart to work, essentially. That is what uh, a liberating masculinity enables because it doesn't wall off the emotional side. It's that, in fact, the opposite. It says we have to break out of that stoic c- cage, if you will. And, and explore the realm of the emotions, even though that takes a lot of courage, a different kind of courage than our traditional notions of courage of running into the burning building or taking a big financial risk. This is the courage to explore emotions that may be unpleasant and, and challenging and to sit with those who are suffering and to be there for them. Yeah, well, and, and that's the thing, too. Like you, you, you've used the word stoic a, a few times. And, and I think that's the thing that a lot of people miss about what stoicism uh is like stoicism isn't a a lack of emotion i mean you're right that's how most people kind of think about it and manifest it but stoicism is really about kind of taking self-stock and and ownership of the situation and not necessarily blaming other things it's 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 really about well the the classic quote is men are disturbed not by things but the view of which they take of them Mm-hmm. And that has, you know, and that has nothing to do with not showing emotions. It, it really requires you to be 
aware of your emotions and to understand why what you're going through is affecting you the way it is. And and I'm glad that you brought it up because, like I said, a lot of people do mistake it for that that void of emotions. If I'm going to be stoic, I've got to be stern-faced, and I can't show emotions. And it's just not it at all. I mean, share a quick story here. Uh, a classic stoic was uh, Admiral James Bond Stockdale. Uh, he was the uh, lead uh, or the senior officer in charge of the Hanoi Hilton during the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. He built their culture around stoicism and caring for one another, which is why the prisoners at the Hanoi Hilton had the lowest PTSD rates of any segment in the military during mm-hmm. Vietnam. And everybody would have thought it was the other way. And so there's another case for your kind of liberating masculinity. It worked in a prison in the middle of Hanoi during the Vietnam War. It can work in your workplace, right? <laughs> That's neat. Well, first of all, so are you saying that the, the, the North Vietnamese who were prisoners had the lowest rate of, of PTSDs or, or those under the admiral's command who were captured had uh, Americans, in other words, that yep. were captured at a lower rate? Yeah. So so uh, the American prisoners of war. So the general, like the, the numbers that are out there right now, the general population for Vietnam of, of American soldiers uh, was somewhere in the neighborhood of around 40%. Out of the the prisoners at the Hanoi Hilton, it was down below 4%. Oh, so he was a prisoner with them, in other yes. words? Yeah. Okay, now I, I follow what you're saying. Um, well, that's neat. Well, y- you are using the word stoic in, a, in a, maybe a classic philosophical uh, term or definition that was is different from what I think what my, my co-author and I were using it as, more of a, in that layperson sense of, of denying emotion, and, and it sounds like you have a, a richer sense of that, Earl. Um, but you know, to, in terms of your story, it's that's it's right. Like, if if he was embracing caring, um, which is something that men have you know have, have had that kind of knocked out of them in many cases uh, by the time they're you know teenagers, uh, almost where we're taught to become kind of callous toward each other and to not see caring for children as uh, a masculine thing. Uh, thankfully, the younger generation is really changing that that point of view. You know, they're they're following Admiral Stockdale in a way to to sort of say, no, we are going to be, you know, we are by nature compassionate beings as human beings. It's part of being a primate, really. Right. You know, we're 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 a great ape, and, and those these species like bonobos, our our close cousins, are deeply social, deeply caring uh, creatures. And you know, we we've tried to deny that truth, but it, we get in trouble when we do. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's a spot on, it's a spot on thing there. And, and again, I, I, you know, I don't, um, uh, for the listeners, I'm not knocking their, their use of the word stoic. It's just the, too many people look at it as, as different than what it is based off of how it's mm-hmm. typically depicted. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you know, this, this liberating masculinity, I like it, uh, because it, 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 it as I think we've kind of discussed here, it brings us back to our roots. It brings us back more in line with how humans are meant to interact with humans. Thanks for that. Yeah, I, I think that's a good way to frame it, Earl. It is a, uh, it is coming back to our roots. And, um, you know, one of the challenges, you know, one of those roots is connection. So we've been talking about caring and, and compassion. And that cousin, you know, we put in our in our subtitle, The Liberating Power of Compassion and Connection, Uh you know, we, we, as men growing up, especially, you know, those of us in our 50s, 60s, 70s, 
how old are you, Earl? I think you're younger than me, probably. I'm in a, I'm 53. <laughs> Just a little bit. I'm I'm 40. Goodness, how old am I? I'm 42. 42. Okay, uh, but you know, we were. I was told growing up in, as an American guy, like you're supposed to be autonomous. Uh, you know, independent, rugged individualism was really our mantra. You know, and to to be the self-made man, uh, it really focuses your attention on the separateness of people and, and of yourself. And, uh, and that does kind of deny this, this, you know, part of our human roots, as you put it, that we are connected, you know, we were all, you know, we can almost deny, deny that we were cared for as kids, you know, <laughs> yeah. you, you can get that far. Like we, we were born as, as teenagers ready to be independent, you know, no, we were like, you know, nursed and cared for and, and swaddled and, and, uh, uh, sometimes by men too. But, um, we and we come from a web of human community that has allowed us to do almost everything we do, from yeah. you know walk out of our house onto a pavement that's been paved by others and driving a car that was designed by other people, built by other people. All of those daily activities we can be blind to, uh, and and blind to all the connections that that make up our lives. Uh, and so, you know, and to put it in practical terms, Earl, you know, we talk about this in our book. The, there's a crisis of loneliness among men, mm. uh, and that. That has a lot to do with this notion that men do not value connections. They don't see them and then they don't value them. And my, you know, a sad story from my own life that we put in the book with my, my father's blessing is that my father is a pretty lonely guy right now. Uh, he had a wonderful relationship with my mother while they were married uh, for, for many years, uh, close to 50, 47 years, I believe. And when, when she died in 2016, 2014, though, he did not really have a lot of other friends. And that's typical for a lot of older men his, his age. And then he told me uh, he had that he said I, I think I have lost the art of of making new friends, mm. and and that I think is typical under the confined masculinity. But a liberating masculinity helps you be great at the art of making friends because you see that they're valuable. You know how to connect with people. You're willing to be vulnerable. Those are the the connections we build, and then that that happens at work, and it happens in the world in ways that are that are good all around. Yeah, well, right. And and the danger side of that kind of uh, that, that loneliness piece that you're talking about there is, you know, when we talk about the, the veteran suicide epidemic, mm. that, that is like a critical element. We go from being surrounded by all of these brothers mm -hmm. and to a lot of times the way society is built now, we scatter to the winds after service and we lose those mm. deep connections. Yeah. And, and and lose that sense of self and that sense of purpose and that loneliness is really what legitimately loneliness is what kills that vast majority of that that twenty two a day suicide veteran epidemic number. Wow, is it that many a day? It's twenty two. Yeah, it's it's a day. It's 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 obnoxious, you know. And there's a lot of things that go into it. I mean, there's the the opioid crisis plays into it. The the lack mm -hmm. of quality care after service, but that loneliness almost to the T is what causes most veterans to, to commit suicide. Yeah. I didn't know about that statistic, but it, and, but it doesn't completely shock me based on some of the, re the research we did on that. Uh, we, one of the, there's an interesting study that finds that um, uh, being very socially lonely is the equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Mm. Uh, or it's, it may be even more detrimental to your health than being obese. Uh, yeah. This is from the, the incoming Surgeon General, uh, Dr. Vivek Mur Murthy, uh, doing research on that. Uh, it, it's just, it's so, 
you know, to your point about the roots of human culture and human human society, we need these connections among ourselves. And yet, yet men have been told, you know, to be on your own. And it, and it really does kind of set us back and, and leads to those tragic outcomes you're referring to. Again, that's kind of that that weird uh, circular pattern there, right? It's like you, you mentioned being the protector and, and, and all of those things is kind of the traditional masculinity. But then we forgo the idea that we can't do any of those things if we're not here. And we can't stay here if we don't take care of our health up to and including fulfilling those other pieces of human interaction, right? That's exactly right. Uh, you know, we, we point out in the book that um, – you know, my, my co-author was was the head of the American Psychological Association's division focused on on men and boys, treatment of men and boys, uh, and he helped roll out these new guidelines a couple of years ago that that said that, that concluded that men that have that subscribe to this conventional masculinity, what we what we ended up calling confined masculinity, in a pretty strict way, have a, a variety of health risks that that you don't have if you don't believe in confined mascul- masculinity deeply, and among those is uh, not going to the doctor very mm-hmm. often, you know, because you think that's, that's a sign of vulnerability. Uh, it, it includes that loneliness piece. It also includes a greater risk of, of uh, substance abuse. Um, so to your point, um, it, it really is an unhealthy way of being a man. And then we can't provide, even, we can't even do those basic roles that, that we are, that we think we're supposed to play, the, the protector of our families or of our, our country, our community, the, the provider for our families. So uh, it is. That's a great uh, irony you're pointing out there, Earl. Yeah. Well, and and kind of to that point. So we we've kind of talked to folks about uh, what it is and what liberating masculinity is like, and um, you know, hopefully, folks are listening. You know, I know I have a lot of veterans that listen to this show. I have a lot of CEOs that listen to this show. Uh, we're talking to you, trying to help, um, and we have somewhat of a solution here. You all have uh, these five C's to help us reinvent masculinity and they're curiosity, courage, compassion, connection, and commitment. So take some time and talk about those uh, five C's a little bit, if you would. Sure. Thank you for that, that opportunity. We think these five C's are the path toward a better masculinity, one that really is in tune with the 21st century that can free men to have fuller lives and everyone around them to have fuller lives as well. And, and so it, starting, we put curiosity first. You, these aren't necessarily in, in order that you have to take them, but there is a sort of a logic to the, to the, the way we, we set them up. Curiosity we're talking about is reclaiming the way we all have uh, wonder as kids. You, all little boys are wondering, why is the sky blue? Why is, how come an airplane doesn't fly, fall out of the sky? Uh, but we are kind of, convinced not to ask questions by the time we're teenagers because it makes us look like we're not the the smartest guy in the room. Um, So it's reclaiming that and asking questions, including, is this the kind of man I want to be? Is this all I can, 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 can appreciate and and have out of my life? Uh, It's asking some of those, those, those questions, then starting to ask questions about, well, could I actually change my views about how to be a man, let alone other, other elements of my life. The courage piece it follows next in a way because if you start saying, you know what, I do want to change how I show up as a man. I do want to be more sensitive uh, and, and emotionally available to say my my wife or or my friends, my children. That can be risky 
Uh, it can be you can risk some derision from 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 both men and women around you who are saying, "Why well, are you showing up like a a wuss?" You know, mm-hmm. you can, and worse kind of epithets can be thrown at you. Uh, it also is it takes courage to sort of enter that realm of this the uh, the, the landscape of feelings. There might be surf- feelings of shame or or sadness that surface that we're not really used to to managing and and, and acknowledging. And also, it it can be it can take courage to acknowledge that we aren't as self made as we thought we were. And in in that same line of thinking, to acknowledge that other folks, especially women, and if we're white men, uh, people of color, may have had a not as easy a chances uh, as easier road as we have had. And we need to to do more to create a more inclusive organization, say, and society. Mm-hmm. So that's where the the cur- some of those are, are courage pieces that that show up there. The compassion piece is 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 not to say that men are not compassionate. We have many men have shown compassion and by by doing that work of providing for their families, by sacrificing years and and of their lives at jobs to to put food on the table. It's more about making that compassion and that sense of caring more explicit. And to say it is a masculine trait, it is a human trait that I have, I'm going to, uh, you know, acknowledge and and embrace. Uh, and to start, it also can include self-compassion, which is to say, uh, realizing that we ourselves may be suffering or have been uh, uh, hurt at times, and we want to do take action to make ourselves and others feel better along the way. The connection piece we we were just talking about that Earl. It's that notion of seeing the interconnections in our world, to, that we are interconnected with all people on the, on the planet, including those halfway around the world. We're all on one spaceship Earth, if you will. Mm-hmm. And we need to have friendships and, and, and close, healthy bonds with our family members and our colleagues for us to thrive in our personal lives and our work lives and in our human society. And then the last one is, is a commitment to sticking with it. You know, like, we, we men, you know, if we're going to get in shape physically, we need to stick with our regimen of going to the gym or, or going, going on our runs or, or the, the activities we might have. This work of, of reinventing our masculinity is not an, a one and done kind of thing. You know, these are deep seated beliefs that we have in, our, in us, take time and take practice and, and often really take community uh, to, to really move, move forward in a positive way. And often it's it's super helpful to to work with other groups, other other men in a group of men. Uh, we we mentioned the the group that my co-author founded in New Jersey thirty years ago called Men Mentoring when Men, where men have come to be remarkably open in talking with each other and remarkably supportive to the point where they talk openly about loving each other, not mm-hmm. in a in a in a gay sexuality way, in in a way of filia, brotherly love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've overcome the homophobia that we've, that's kind of kept us from bonding with each other in, in a profound way. Um, so that's what those five C's, uh, are in a nutshell. And, uh, you know, we've seen it, we've seen them work in M3, especially, but in other, other men, uh, that, that we document in the book as well. Yeah, no. And, and I love, especially what you said about that, that courage and, and compassion piece there and that, that brotherly thing, you know, that's the one thing that. The, the the military, I was in the Marines, and I can mm-hmm. tell you right now, that's one thing that we did very well mm-hmm. was promote that kind of brotherly love thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the one thing we didn't do all that well was uh, not do what you just mentioned about the joking. You know, we, 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 we very much weaponize when people would open up. Now, 
we we mm. yes we did it in that kind of brotherly love joking kind of way and it was there was always this kind of understood you know this is okay for us to do but it's not okay for somebody else to do mm. right like if we had somebody you know and and you know I served in the in the late 90s and there were a lot of issues back then that are still lingering to this day with uh different gender identities and different uh sexual orientations serving in the military Mm-hmm. You know, but we had, and, and I'm not necessarily proud to share this story, but it, it's worth sharing in this context. You know, we had a Marine that that came out to a bunch of us as gay, mm-hmm. and we joked with him about being gay. We made jokes we shouldn't have made, and in, in in hindsight, uh, you know, we were all the the teenage testosterone. It was funny. But I remember being out with this individual and somebody else uh, calling him a slur. And, oh, we, I mean, we immediately turned face and rallied around this guy. Like, that's our brother. Mm. We we can make fun of him. You can't. Mm. And I'm mm-hmm. not saying that's healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm saying that's actually probably something we did a terrible job of. Because I wonder how many people didn't come forward because they saw us joking with that guy and maybe didn't fully understand, or maybe we didn't fully understand the impact we were having on him. I really appreciate your candor and, uh, you know, acknowledging that maybe you weren't as, as good of a guy you could, as you could have been or good of a uh, colleague, uh, brother in arms there, uh, Earl. Uh, I, I suspect that's true for a lot of, of guys is we, we we're, we're, we're trying to make sense of a different world than we were told is the world that we're supposed to grow up in. You know, uh, I, I didn't know anybody who was gay uh, or a different sexual orientation going to, up until the point I was in college. And I suspect that's because people were afraid. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not like there were no gay people in my suburb of Buffalo, probably. I, I must have known thousand, a couple thousand people or come across them. And, and yet, uh, you know, so I, I give you credit for, for the, the, the embracing and, and protecting piece I think little by little we're moving away from, we're acknowledging that those jokes are often hurtful, you know, in, in ways we don't necessarily intend, you know, such that my, my teenage kids, they don't make anti-gay slurs as far as like I could tell or not nearly like what I grew up with, you know, I, in my, you know, one of my kids identifies as, as bisexual. And I, I think you're de- describing a moment in time that we're moving through. You know, and, and 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 toward a more humane approach to to gender identity, uh, and that's part of that liberating masculinity. I think is is freeing us from these beliefs. That you got to be one way or another, and if you're not the the straight guy, you're you're somehow uh, worthy of of, of uh, mockery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, uh, definitely. And and again, like you said, you pointed out, it's things that we're we're working through and. Uh, you know, we're getting better. We're, we're, we're moving in the right direction for the most part. We got a lot of work to do. Uh, but again, I like this compassion mm-hmm. piece cause it was, uh, you know, I don't want to make this all about, uh, LGBTQ issues, but like a really perfect example. I was doing, uh, some training on, uh, like unconscious bias and understanding and, and, and belonging and that sort of stuff. And it was when the uh, the bathroom issue was uh, kind of really big in the media. And mm-hmm. uh, we, we had a lady very solid in her convictions. I don't want a big burly man following me and my daughter into the women's restroom. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I thought about it for a second and I, I said, ma'am, 
I promise you that transgender woman doesn't want a big burly man following them into the women's restroom either. <laughs> <laughs> That's a brilliant response, Earl. <laughs> right, um, it, it, it was, but it was, you know, and, and it was like, oh, you're right. We got that light bulb to kind of go on, right? Hmm. And it's that compassion it's and a, understanding piece that you're talking about. Yeah, that's a, an interesting way of kind of uh, putting yourselves. You know, it's that com- part of that compassion is what you did in that moment. I think, Earl, of like, can we walk in each other's shoes? Yeah, you know, and and, and I've heard this interesting term uh, or, or framing it's even goes beyond walking in the other shoes not just walk in the other person's shoes but walk in the other person's shoes as them mm-hmm. not as you walking in the shoes but really try to imagine that that identity deeply and and i think that that's happened to us you know you're, you're getting at the, at the gender change uh, gender identity um issues of maybe the 90s and, and maybe t- five ten years ago and most recently, it's been the Me Too movement and the Black Lives Matter movement that have, have prompted that uh, shift in, in consciousness. And I think a lot of guys are, are interested or open to figuring out how to do that work. But there's a lot of confusion about, you know, how, how do you do it? Uh, and I don't have all the answers necessarily either. But I think it's a moment for us. You know, we're seeing sort of the, that, that backlash, uh, that, that the gnashing, gnashing of the teeth, the wailing, as you put it, of maybe the Proud Boys at the extreme. But a lot of guys... Are, I think they want to they want to move toward a a better world because they have sisters and they have friends who are not like them. You know, uh, maybe straight guys or straight white guys. If we think about the majority of men in in the, in the U.S. anyways, so I think it's a, it's a hopeful time in, in a lot of ways. No, I I, I agree. And, and well, we may not have all of the answers uh, to all those questions. Uh, you do have some answers in your book about how we can kind of. Uh, especially as leaders, how we can reinvent masculinity at work. So uh, I think mm-hmm. I'll just ask the question that way. As leaders, how can we kind of nurture and and uh, push this kind of reinvention and re-understanding of masculinity in our workplaces? It has a lot to do with uh, applying what we've been talking about much of the conversation, Earl, to the workplace. Uh, and so going back to the first comment you made about the, the burden of command, and I, and I think you... Uh, you know, I, I honor the, the military service and the, the, the terminology of a command, a leadership post. And in some ways, the military shows what that, if I understand right, the, some of the most recent developments in military leadership are very much in keeping with what I and my co-author Ed would say needs to happen, which is to say, provide less of a uh, strict chain of command and more autonomy and ability for people to kind of um, find their way to have a say to show up as, as full human beings um, and to, to see yourselves as a team that can be collaborative, not as uh, folks that are vying even amongst each other. Uh, so those are some of the, the, the habits of, of leadership that work. And I can give you a little bit of research that backs this up. When I was at a great place to work, we studied 10,000 managers and we found that the most effective and and also the most were well the ones that were most effective were also the most inclusive. We called them for all leaders because ninety percent plus of their people had a great experience on their teams. So it wasn't just a great experience for some, but virtually for all of their people, they're having a good experience. And the kind of traits those those leaders had were humility, uh, the ability to to build bonds of trust within the team and beyond the team. Uh, and also a, a deep sense of purpose. 
it wasn't about the the next quarter's profits. It was the the, the long game, the, the most the highest goal that that team and that organization could shoot for. Now, some of these qualities are they're very different from how we were told to show up as men. You know, we're supposed to be you know more the bragging guy, you know, or the the one that that seizes the limelight rather than being humble. We're not supposed to worry about bonds of trust. We're supposed to be just about the numbers, you know, and and not so much the you know some you know, lofty purpose rather just let me get, get, show me the money, you know? <laughs> so, so this is really, but that, those are, you know, kind of outdated in a world where you need to move faster and trust people to make decisions on your team uh, so that you can really uh, oppor- seize opportunities and avoid threats that are just surfacing all the time now. Uh, and in this world where you, you, we know that psychological safety matters and we, and we know that fairness and a really inclusive workplace matters. So these are some of the ways that, that, that guys have got to reinvent masculinity to really succeed and be inclusive today. Well, I think you, you, you maybe just said the magic word there, right? Trust. Uh, and you mentioned earlier these high mm-hmm. trust environments and, and, you know, just really taking the time and effort to build, to build that level of trust in, in your team so you can have that curiosity. You can be courageous. You can show compassion. You can uh, and, and commit knowing that you've got uh, – that, that the team has your back, right? Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's the, the trusting relationship is – trusting relationships are so important. Uh, we know that that that's leads to higher financial outcomes and great place to works research and, and other research uh, on, on the power of trust. Um, and we have it within us as guys, you know, and there's some great role models out there right now, Earl. I mean, even you, you are demonstrating it here on your show. Um, I, I've been able, I've been honored to be able to, to write about and interview some of the most impressive leaders in, in some of the bigger companies too. Like John Chambers is the CEO of Cisco, the technology mm-hmm. giant. And, and just a quick example of, of the way he's showing up in new ways. He had a dream soon after he took over as CEO several years ago at Cisco, where he walked through a homelessness encampment in San Jose, in the middle of Silicon Valley in, the, in California, and he saw the face of his pastor and his father. Mm. And that the next morning he woke up and said, I have got to work on this problem. This, and he called the mayor of San Jose, and that led to this, multi, like I think it was a $50 million commitment to help build a, a homelessness um, halfway house type facility, a, a housing a d- complex. And then it inspired a lot of a renewed uh, energy around philanthropy at Cisco. Uh, and this is, it didn't come at the cost of the, of the financial performance of the company. In fact, they produced during the same time, the best selling, uh, product that Cisco's ever generated. Yep. So people were just inspired to be, be at that company. And this is not old school leadership where you, you know, you, you're just about the dollars and, and the hard facts and numbers. No, this is the soft skills of communicating what your dreams are literally like, and, and your, your sense of your heartfelt compassion for the community and wanting to, to be a part of that broader solution, not just stay within the walls, be confined within your business. No, let's serve our, our world here. So I think there's a lot of, of inspiring uh, examples that men can, can turn to today. Oh, I, I agree. And, and I think that's the thing, right? And, and leveraging like what you just said, like it's very, very difficult, even though we all value the dollar, it's, it's very, very difficult to get your average button pusher uh, to get motivated to make the CEO more money or, or mm-hmm. make the shareholders more money. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier. And like you mentioned, there's a bunch of examples, Tom's and, and, and things like that. 
to get people motivated to do a better job at the lowest levels because they're making, they are making an impact on the world. They're not just making somebody else richer. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and, and it, it works at all levels. Um, you know, some of my listeners, my longtime listeners here will remember uh, back episode 23, I interviewed a, a former active duty Marine, Corey Sh- uh, Schaffer, and he, he runs a company called Till Valhalla Project. See, Viking culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his company's purpose is to honor fallen heroes, uh, mm. fire, uh, you know, uh, firemen, police officers, veterans, uh, and not just from the suicide epidemic, but, you know, from, from all uh, manners. How he gets it done is he sells shirts and hats and other products uh, through the company. So people know I'm not buying a shirt. I'm helping fund a memorial plaque for a fallen hero. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just such a great sense of, of purpose there. And he's mm-hmm. doing great work. And, and and it's all because of that great sense of purpose. Yeah, that's neat. And I think I think younger generations are really drawn to those companies, Earl, that, that have purpose at the center. Uh, I know there's also been research that uh, that Americans are expecting more out of their uh, companies when it comes to supporting a more inclusive uh, workplace and, and society as well. So, you know, it, it's all pointing in that direction of, of a more uh, purposeful, um, holistic uh, or, orientation as a leader today for a man. Well, Ed, I can't believe it, but I'm looking at the clock here and we're sitting at about 47 minutes or so. And this has just been a fantastic conversation. So, uh, you know, I just want to say thank you uh, immensely for for coming on the show and 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 introducing us to this uh, idea of being able to reinvent masculinity. I think this is a a very valuable message uh, you all are spreading here. Earl, thanks so much. I really enjoyed the conversation as well. Yeah. Well, before we close it out, I, I got to ask, because uh, you know, I want to make sure we didn't miss anything. Is there anything that we didn't get a chance to touch on that you'd like to leave the audience with? Um, I think there's just one one other piece of the puzzle that, that maybe we, we, we didn't touch on that, that I think is another hopeful sign. You know, if, we, if we're trying to give leave a, an uplifting note for folks, and that is that uh, as much as we we you can see some examples of men behaving badly in the public sphere uh, in say the riot uh, in, in the Capitol. Um, there's just a lot of quiet, positive developments going on. We, we touched on the business side, but also in the sports world and also in the pop culture world. And I don't know if, if any of your readers or uh, listeners uh, watched the Jane, the Virgin uh, TV series, but uh, the character Raphael is a fellow named Justin Baldoni who's just about to put out a, uh, a memoir called uh, Man Enough, in which he talks about uh, uh, undefining his masculinity and, and, and really challenging men to be strong enough to be vulnerable and, and confident enough to, to listen to their, their, the women in their lives. Uh, if you look in the sports world, you see Steph Curry and, and Steve Kerr being, being dr- driven by joy and compassion, not just that sort of like, vicious level of competition say that and a chip on their shoulder it's coming out of a bunch of different place so i i think that uh there's a lot of hope that we may be in the midst of what you could call a masculine spring or the beginnings of a masculine spring where, where uh, a much better way of being a man takes root and really sprouts and, and brings about a more hopeful future 
Uh, no, I love it. And and I think you're right. I think you're right. I think we're seeing a lot more of that. And, you know, it's good to see some of these uh, high-profile uh, folks using those platforms to, to share that kind of message versus some of the ones, as we've mentioned, have been shared in the past. It's not all about beer commercials, right? Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. so, but, um, you know, I love it. And again, I love what y'all are doing. And, and to remind the listeners, uh, we've been talking about the book Reinventing Masculinity, The Liberating Power of Compassion and Connection. Uh, my guest is Ed Frohenheim, and his co-author is... Edward Adams. Uh, so, Ed, um, folks have been listening. I'm very hopeful that they've heard our conversation. They've bought in. They want to uh, pick up a copy of Reinventing Masculinity. They want to find out more about uh, the work you and, and Edward are doing. Um, how can how can they do that? The best way is to go to our, our website at reinventingmasculinity.com. Or they can also find the book on Amazon if they'd like. Okay. All right. And uh, all the information to like to the contact information is on the reinvent, reinventing masculinity.com. Yes. Outstanding. So I'll have, uh, I'll have links to that uh, in, in the show notes. So folks can just click on it and go straight to you all. Uh, again, okay. thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been a great conversation. Thank you, Earl. All right. And listeners, uh, thank you for sticking with us. I hope you've taken a lot of good information away from this a better understanding about what masculinity is and what masculinity uh, could be, and a better understanding of, of how to make those changes. I uh, highly encourage you to pick up a copy of the book. Uh, again, just click the link and uh, we'll take you right there. Um, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns for me, just remember burden.command at gmail.com. That's the easiest way to uh, get a hold of me about the podcast. Uh, with that, thank you very much for your time. And uh, keep sharing the show, keep rating and reviewing and, and subscribing and letting your friends know so we can help uh, help all my guests with great messages like what Ed has, uh, share those far and wide. Uh, keep that responsibility uh, going. You've been doing a great job with it. And with that, I uh, really look forward to speaking with you all again in the next episode. Electric Acid. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together, we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Electric acid.